Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Eric McLane from the ACC Network will drop by in about 60 minutes. We're headed to Charlotte to see Clemson take on UVA in the ACC football championship game. Of course, all week, it's conference championship week, starting tomorrow night with the Pac-12 title game. Bunch of big games on Saturday. We'll talk more college football with you and your calls a little bit later. Eric McLean of the ACC Network, former Clemson Tiger, in about 60 minutes. The NFL, of course, is on our mind. Week 14 actually starts tonight. 6-6 six and six Dallas, which is in a playoff position, visits 6-6 six and six Chicago, which is way outside the NFC playoff picture. More on that matchup. But also Baltimore at Buffalo, San Fran at New Orleans, KC at New England, Seattle at the Rams. Those are tasty treats waiting us on Sunday. Jim Zoki of the Carolina Panthers is joining us now in part to discuss not as much the games anymore for the Panthers who head to Atlanta to face the Falcons for this final stretch of four regular season games. But there was big news earlier this week coming out of the Queen City as, of course, Ron Rivera has been dismissed as the head coach of the Panthers after almost nine seasons. And owner David Tepper starts his search for Rivera's successor. Jim Zoki, welcome back to the David Glenn Show. We've had a lot of fun discussing not only Ron Rivera, the coach, and his body of work, but Ron Rivera, the person. What comes to mind in your eyes as someone kind of there in the trenches to a degree when you're trying to describe Ron Rivera, the person? Because I, I just tip my hat to the guy for nine years of class and dignity off the field while I think being the best coach on the field the Panthers have ever had. And, of course, we're going to see Ron Rivera again in all likelihood as a head NFL coach somewhere else. Yeah, DG, you nailed it. I mean, just a, a genuine person, whether that was the head football coach, uh, whether it was the husband, the dad, uh, somebody who's involved in the community, a radio guest, I'm sure you've had him on plenty of yep. times. I mean, he just is, uh, he's just uh, one of the most affable people you ever meet. And he just, uh, for us on the radio side, our broadcast from radio and TV, uh, it couldn't have been easier to work with. So somebody's got a hard act to follow from the broadcast standpoint for us, which is the most important thing, of course, the broadcasting part. But then as far as the coaching went, two-time coach of the year, uh, players loved to play for him, played hard for him, didn't quit on him in the community, whether it was the uh, Humane Society, anything associated with veterans, kids, all that kind of stuff. He and his wife, Stephanie, and the family were, were all into the uh, community and being a part of everything here. I sent him a text. I went to the press conference yesterday morning and didn't have a chance in that period as he walked off to, to get to say hi to him. I texted him right afterwards, and he got back to me within 20, 30 minutes. I mean, it just a guy that busy walking out the door saying all his goodbyes. Uh, was able to do that. So just uh, really a good guy to get to know. And uh, we're lucky to have had him here as long as we did for nine years. I wonder from your perspective as a guy who is, you know, not there in the huddle, but pretty close to the Panthers trenches, if you will, how many of the stories that you heard over the last 48 hours did you already know? And how many of them were just new even to you who knows the Panthers from A to Z? And I mean in terms of Greg Olson saying that Ron Rivera may not have texted him over a football-related matter in nine years and yet regularly checked up on him as a dad and a husband and, of course, he has a child with medical complications. Or Gerald McCoy tells the story of needing or wanting to attend the funeral of his Little League coach. And Ron Rivera, his only request was be ready to play football when you get back on your timetable. And McCoy said that's different than what he had gotten from other professional coaches. And what Eric Reed said about Ron Rivera kind of 
researching Reed's, you know, beliefs about racial and social injustice so that Ron went from one point of view to another as Eric continued to kneel during the anthem. I, I didn't know all those stories. D did you already have a sense of those things? Yeah, specifically, no, on, on any of those. Jonathan Stewart was uh, brought up at the press conference yesterday saying his favorite memory is telling Coach that, that they were going to have a baby girl, and that was the most excited Ron was huh. uh, when he got the news about his baby girl being born. And uh, so the particulars of the stories, no, but the, the broader sense of those would be the things that you would think uh, about a, a guy who's just a terrific human being, how he would behave and act. And yeah, I'm glad you brought up the Eric Reed thing and kind of how he – gradually changed and kind of slanted his view from a military background of how he viewed some of those things. But one of those coaches that would stand at the podium, I and mean, you know, you watch these things with college coaches, they don't know what they're going to get. And right. typically, you know, college is a little bit more controlling, but at the pro level, it could be a little bit more open NBA in particular. But for the NFL, you know, he could be sitting there talking about, you know, the three, four defense. And someone will say, what do you think about players kneeling? Or what do you think about uh, potential police uh, brutality, that kind of thing? And Ron would just share. Whereas, you know, you couldn't do that with a, any number of coaches in the league that are all ball, one topic. You know, Ron was not, not only not adverse to those topics, uh, was happy to chime in with his opinion. And knowing it's going to be rebroadcast on the evening news that uh, night was not afraid to share an opinion. Fascinating that the way it turns out, Ron Rivera sounded a lot more like a college football coach. You know, talks about girlfriends and grades and homesickness and mom and dad than an NFL coach. I just picture Belichick. I mean, Belichick ain't having any of those conversations with anybody, period. And that's just not my view from afar. That's how his former players, most of them, describe a guy who, of course, is uh, the greatest of all time in the coaching sense. I don't know. There's something I like more about Ron Rivera's way, even if it's not uh, nearly as many wins. Do you believe, and, and of course, I'm just asking for educated speculation on this. You, you don't know. You're not reading David Tepper's mind. But did you get the sense that David Tepper's decision to let Ron Rivera go pivoted on the idea that he didn't see Ron at this stage of life and career as that blend of old school discipline but new school analytics that he very clearly has made um, obvious that is a priority for him? Yeah, I mean, we could only base our opinions to this point on some of those nuggets of information that Dave Tepper has shared over the past couple of weeks. And, you know, I thought that was a shot over the bow after the Atlanta game when he said he didn't sleep that night and used some other language. And then you followed that up with a close loss to New Orleans and then a really disappointing, disheartening loss at home to Washington and the way it happened with the Redskins running up and down your home yeah. field and the, the stands emptying in front of your eyes and yet another game against a two-win team coming in like Atlanta was prior to that. So I think, you know, he had made up his mind over these past couple of weeks that the evaluation was over. He'd made up his mind and, to his credit, was transparent with Ron, wants to get on with the search, wants to allow Ron a little head start into his future. So why drag it on? Why try to talk to candidates, bring people in for interviews behind his back? So I think that was it. And then he has dropped those kind of drops of knowledge that you've mentioned about analytics. Uh, it's kind of not using these exact words, but you get the overall impression of a younger, offensive-minded, more innovative uh, innovative uh, kind of a coach. And again, it may not settle this. I do believe that you carry fuel who's an old-school defensive-minded coach as a candidate, came okay. a second for the job to Rivera nine years ago. But that's got to be the right blend of that kind of offensive coordinator or assistant head coach in some kind of way if that happens. So I don't think anything's ruled out, but 
those kind of words I just used a moment ago are kind of the thing that he's dropped in uh, what he's talked about so far. Darren, whatever Jim Zoki says in answer to my next question, make sure we phrase it as Jim just having fun with DG's question, not Zoki predicts blank will be the next head coach of the Carolina Panthers. And, and I mean that sincerely because you made a reference to it there quickly. David Tepper basically admitted, well, A, I'm keeping an open mind, and you'd expect that of a guy as successful as he's been in so many different ways. However, even with my open mind, if you asked me, yes, I'm more inclined to go NFL over college coach, and yes, I'm more intrigued by an offensive background than a defensive background. Again, no shut doors. But when he said offense over defense, when he said NFL over college, you know, who comes to mind for you? Uh, right off the top are you are you you know do you have your own personal just watch list not a prediction list but who fits the description of NFL probably assistant coach with the offensive background you know I, I, I know we're being careful and framing it I'm not going to do it I'm not gonna yeah. it because it just it, it just sticks uh, but uh, the, the kind of general characteristics uh, of what we talked about uh, that you just mentioned there I think are what are where they're beginning their mind and searching it. And again, as you said, not closing doors to college, not closing doors to, to defense. I think it's wide open. And the reason I don't want to do it is because it's like speculating. Let's let's go ahead and pick all the bowl games for next week before yeah. we play the conference championship games. It's just it's just chatter that doesn't really have any value or mean anything. Because you know what, they've not called these candidates. They've not interviewed candidates uh, until they start even getting to that point. It's open to everybody and anybody right now, and it's, it's going to be a long search for a couple months. Like I said, Perry Fuel's first in line. They handpicked Perry Fuel as the interim coach because they want to see what he could do. He doesn't fit anything we just talked about. Old-school, defensive-minded guy, 21 years, hired by Ron Rivera. Yeah. Nothing about him fits, but they want to see what he can do because they think he's ready, and uh, Dave Tepper thinks highly of him, too. And Scott Turner is an offensive coordinator play caller uh, in a capacity that he's not been getting elevated a little bit. So not shirking your question, David. It's just we could sit here to your show and, and name 50 guys. And you know what? We'll hopefully get one of those right and we can point back to say we did. This one probably will have more merit as we can just goof around with Greg, Greg Roman of the Ravens and you know, Eric Bieniemy of the Chiefs and Kevin Stefanski of the Vikings and Josh McDaniels of the Patriots. And yes, we could make a list of 50. Given what you know about David Tepper and the way he does things, you, you you saw him fire Ron Rivera. You heard him compliment GM Marty Herney as an evaluator of college talent. And then he very specifically said, I'm adding this new position, you know, assistant GM slash vice president of football operations. What is your, you know, reading of the tea leaves on what is that person bringing to the table? Is is it just taking stuff off of Marty Herney's plate? Uh, is it uh, is it another intelligent voice in the room for draft and free agency purposes? How did you envision that? Yeah, I think the jo the job that Marty's been doing is that of multiple people. So I think he's actually doing it the right way in terms of a business restructuring standpoint. Marty's strength is in the draft and in college evaluations. And then they usually typically have pro scouts that are out recommending people that uh, could be pickups when you need a free agent player to fill roster needs and plug holes along the way. So what Marty's best at, and honestly what Marty likes the most, is going on the road. I, I interview him every single week at practice. And Marty enjoys going out to the Pac-12, the Big Ten, these games, seeing these people because he really is that old school, I need to see it, not just on tape, I need to see it in person, talk to people in person. So I think that's what Marty's strength is, and he's putting him in that position. And then he made the comment, 
you know, when Marty's on the road, we don't have anyone here kind of to answer to the business side and some other things. I don't know how they'll structure it, but as an example, maybe it takes away some of the, the big questions of, like, how do you restructure a contract? How do you extend Christian McCaffrey? What to do financially if you want to yeah. keep Cam Newton beyond his one year left on his deal where Marty's strength is in the evaluation of the football players? Maybe let's take some of these economic business type issues and hand them to someone and let them specifically worry about that with everybody having input but not making it a priority in his day. Last thing for Jim Zoki of the Carolina Panthers radio crew. You can follow Jim on Twitter at Jim Zoki. Along with this four game audition for Perry Fuel as the interim head coach, we saw the somewhat unconventional, you know, dad, Norv Turner, hands over the reins to son, Scott Turner. And correct me if I get this wrong, Scott's basically the play-calling offensive coordinator here, right, for this right. four-game stretch. What can you tell us about Scott? And, you know, we know who he is in terms of his dad, but we've had, what, four decades of Norv Turner's body of work to discuss to discuss over the years. And uh, just Scott's been kind of Norv's son. If you're getting this chance in the eyes of David Tepper, you know, he probably is on a list of people who think Scott Turner might have a bright future. That's exactly right. I think they view him like he is going to be in this league, an offensive coordinator next. Let's give him an audition here before we just blow the staff out, because you've seen it, right? The head coach goes, and then there goes everybody with them. I, I think what they're trying to do is identify those that they think have a future uh, that would be candidates for a job here, and this combination is such that the easy thing would have been just to get through the year, make Norv the head coach, because he's done it a couple times in the NFL. But what they know is that Norv is on, you know, the probably the final stages of his career. Ron brought him in. Uh, Scott is that younger, bright offensive mind. They want to see what he can do, innovative, just like Norv. Uh, but with a longer upside in terms of his future in the league. So, yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see what he's done. he's done. Whatever you think of Kyle Allen as a starting quarterback, where you view him in that pecking order around 32 teams, they've got an undrafted kid from last year that wasn't drafted that is playing reasonably well overall when you look at the big picture, considering where he's from. And the quarterback's coach deserves some credit for that. He hasn't really had a chance to work with Cam because of injury the last couple of years. But uh, I think that uh, as a compliment to Scott, that the Kyle's played even as well as he had, considering where he began from. Good stuff, Jim Zoki, Carolina Panthers. As always, we appreciate your time on the David Glenn Show. All right, David, thank you. You got it. On Twitter, at Jim Zoki, that is S-Z-O-K-E. Partner to Mick Mixon and friends on the Carolina Panthers broadcast team. Eric McLean of the ACC Network, the former Clemson Tigers team captain and first team All-ACC offensive lineman. He'll drop by live in about 45 minutes. We'll talk more college football. Dabo Sweeney got a lot of votes for ACC Football Coach of the Year. But Scott Satterfield of Louisville got the most votes. That's why Scott was announced earlier today as the ACC Coach of the Year. Why I cast my ballot for someone else, although I respect the heck out of Scott Satterfield's job this year at Louisville and Dabo Sweeney's undefeated job this year at Clemson. More on that ballot of mine, more on the ACC Big Ten Challenge. Duke and NC State have a lot to celebrate after big wins. UNC and Wake Forest in very different ways are wondering where they go from here after embarrassing losses. The Deeks crushed up at Penn State. UNC annihilated at home by number six, Ohio State, 74-49. to Offensive struggles you just almost never see by any Roy Williams team, Kansas or UNC, ever. The Tar Heels have a lot of figuring out to do to get to where they want to go. 1-800-849-2761 is your ticket into the program. NFL Week 14, Dallas at Chicago tonight. 
and really, I think four must-see TV games this coming Sunday, and I don't mean your Panthers visiting the Atlanta Falcons. College football, the conference championship week, gets underway tomorrow with the Pac-12 title game, Utah against Oregon, the Utes, one of the contenders for the Final Four, of course. All the other championship games are on Saturday, including App State hosting Louisiana right here in our backyard in the Sun Belt Championship game. Your questions and comments on college football, your reflections on college hoops and the ACC Big Ten Challenge. The NFL, of course, is always fair game. The future of Ron Rivera and who will be his successor in Charlotte. NASCAR is in the headlines today because of a new business model and a new combination of Sponsors. Golf is in the headlines. The President's Cup is one week from today, and there's a fantastic field in the Bahamas, including Tiger Woods, at an event as we speak. Major League Baseball is spitting out new free agent signees left and right. More on those stories with your phone calls. We're headed to the Canes game tonight, San Jose at Carolina. The Hurricanes are still in Eastern Conference playoff position after 28 games, but not comfortably so. So it's nice to see a win against Minnesota on Saturday. We'll be in Charlotte for the ACC title game. Uh, and against San Jose tonight, we will be there at PNC Arena. Hope to see you there. 1-800-849-2761. We are between guests. That means it's a good time for your phone calls and more of my thoughts on the headlines of the day. 1-800-849-2761 is how you can be next on The David Glenn Show. The great difference between sport and capital E Entertainment and capital S Sport is that we don't know the outcome. And that feeling of uncertainty, positively or negatively, is unique. We are quoting Bob Ryan the way I would quote, you know, Aristotle or Confucius. You're listening to The David Glenn Show. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. One thing I promised, and then to your phone calls, Ryan and Wendell wants to chime in on one of the more controversial NFL headlines of the last 24 hours. The San Francisco 49ers have suspended radio analyst Tim Ryan after he said, be wary of saying yes to those sports radio invitations. You never know when they're going to get you in trouble. Jim Zoki backing off the coaching question. These, these are seasoned pros. They know they want to offer as much expertise and maybe humor and entertainment and information as possible without in any way ever jeopardizing their jobs even a little bit. So Tim Ryan says yes to a sports radio invitation out west, and he's on a show in the Bay Area, and he's asked about Lamar Jackson, the star quarterback of the Baltimore Ravens, and among Tim Ryan's commentary, radio analyst for the San Francisco 49ers, in, was the observation that Lamar Jackson's dark skin helps him disguise a dark brown football while running fake handoffs in Baltimore's offense, which is heavy on the zone read type stuff. So you know where all this is going, right? It involves race, which means many Americans' heads just spin around exorcist style entirely and their brains stop functioning completely. It involves race, which means you are in jeopardy of losing your job or getting suspended. I am glad that Tim Ryan was not fired. He was suspended by the San Francisco 49ers for his comments on that radio show. He will not broadcast Sunday's game, and it's one of the best of the weekend, between the 49ers and the New Orleans Saints. The Niners released a statement on the matter 
last night from Florida where they're practicing in preparation to play the Saints. Quote, we are disappointed in Tim Ryan's comments earlier this week, and we have suspended him for the upcoming game. We hold Tim to a high standard as a representative of our organization, and he must be more thoughtful with his words. Tim has expressed remorse in a public statement and has also done so with us privately. We know Tim as a man of high integrity and are confident he will grow and learn from this experience. Ryan also put out a statement and said, among other things, it wasn't that long, I regret my choice of words in trying to describe the conditions of the game. Lamar Jackson is an MVP caliber player, and I respect him greatly. I want to sincerely apologize to him and anyone else I offended. That's Tim Ryan. Again, he keeps his job. Bill Peters, Calgary Flames head coach in the NHL, lost his job after his racist comments came to light. But that was using the N-word toward one of his own players and being accused of physical abuse even during his time with the Carolina Hurricanes. I guaranteed you that Bill Peters would lose his job. In my opinion, he should have lost his job, and he did lose his job. This is not that. I know it's hard for people to stay calm whenever race is involved, but I can differentiate between what Bill Peters said, outrageous, unacceptable. I'd fire him myself if he were an employee of my company for a single example of that N-word. Done. You don't like it? Call me. I'll tell you why it should be that way, and it is that way, and it certainly would always be that way for me as a decision maker who's had hundreds of different people on my payroll over the last 33 years. 1-800-849-2761. It's not cookie cutter. It's not just because it's race you lose your job. I can see this as different than that. One, yes, rises to a level where I think you should lose your job. Another is an unfortunate choice of words that does not rise to that level. And whether you thought a one-game suspension or no suspension at all was appropriate, I'm glad that Tim Ryan, assuming he doesn't have other such stains on his resume, if this is only an isolated incident, I'm glad the guy gets to keep his job. 1-800-849-2761. Why did I vote? for someone different than the guy who won the ACC Football Coach of the Year Award as announced this morning. I will elaborate after your calls. John wants in on the NFL. We're going to Ryan in Wendell on the Tim Ryan comments. Go right ahead. Hi, Dave. How are you? Doing well, man. What's on your mind? Well, I want to tell you what it is about the Tim Ryan comments that bothered me so much. All right. I don't think that he's some sort of overt racist. but the whole comment, the whole idea of this guy is black, and so therefore he's just got such a huge advantage because everything blends in, almost like he's talking about the predator mm. or something like that. Like, oh, he just, you just can't see him. I mean, it's one thing to say something like Boise State wearing blue uniforms and playing on a blue field makes it harder to see where they are or something like that, right? You know, one thing, I'll, I'll let you keep going. One thing that's interesting in the 2019 version of the NFL. If there were any visual imagery that offered a competitive advantage, keep in mind, NFL teams are at the point where they know nutritional details they didn't know 10 or 20 years ago. They study officiating crews so that they know who throws more holding flags and fewer holding flags. They know who lets more go on pass interference and which crews let less go. Like, this is all incorporated into the game plan. Like, what detail is not probed? In the modern NFL, imagine if somebody had shown at any point in the last 20 years 
that there was an advantage on fake handoffs if this or that color was part of the backdrop. I mean, if if it really was, like, I'm trying to remember all NFL rules on uniforms. Like, if I'm the Cleveland Browns, and I, I'm allowed to use all different shades of brown, and I think fake handoffs are less detectable by defenses, if my quarterbacks and running backs all wear the long sleeves like it's winter all year round, you guys are going to wear long sleeve shirts, and it's going to be the shade of brown that's closest to the football shade of brown. Like, all, all of these things have been probed. If it were a competitive advantage, I'm telling you, man, you'd have teams that don't even have brown in their color palette using long-sleeve brown shirts on fake handoff plays, right? We're at a point where we're so far beyond all this craziness that I still chalk it up as just kind of unfortunate. I mean, if I felt that way, and remember, Tim Ryan played this game. Things things happen so quickly that I'm skeptical that the brown football blending into a brown anything like the Cleveland Browns uniform the quarterback and the running back are both wearing brown and I know they have home and away jerseys etc but I don't know is that an advantage are you are you thrown off for a millisecond as a linebacker whenever the Browns have a run pass option because they're wearing their darker brown uniforms today I mean it starts to get a little bit ridiculous but I didn't see this as something that rose to a level where Tim Ryan should have lost his job. Well, you see, the thing is that I'm just tired of in sports in general is, I mean, I thought the comment, like I said, I thought the comment was stupid. Yeah. Because like you just said, if that was the case, you know, then put Cam Newton back on the field, you know, if his foot's okay, put him in a black uniform and boom, well, I guess we're going to win the Super Bowl. Just never wear anything but black uniforms because, you know, because that was his whole the dark football and the dark uniform. Right. As though Baltimore doesn't have those white uniforms, you know, their home jerseys. I mean, it's just. Hey, if, if you're tired of if you're tired of racism in sports and racism of American society, you've got a friend in me, as the old saying goes. I'll sing that song with you right now. You've got a friend in me. Because somehow, some way, one third of America doesn't believe that people of color are discriminated against more than white people. I mean, I've been around a long time. I have a legal background. I've studied issues of race and gender. I am more knowledgeable than most. But it is the other side of ignorant, truly uneducated, imbecilic ignorance, ostrich head in the sand ignorance to believe that, and one-third of America believes that. And I'm, I'm not sorry to offend anybody. I don't apologize for telling the truth as I know it with my education and experience. I will not apologize for offending somebody. One-third of America has its head up its collective rectum on this particular issue. And if you fit that one-third, not you, Ryan, but anybody listening, tough. I mean, you can die ignorant and racist, because you're clueless and nobody's ever called you out on it, or you can contemplate whether or not I have a point. If you really believe that, and that's the backdrop to part of this, and with somebody like Tim Ryan, I would want to know the rest of this guy's body of work. If there's no slips of the tongue, if this is not somebody who, and I, I know him in my life, I know the people who would, I would not be surprised to see racist stuff on their Facebook page. 
Not doesn't surprise Maria. I'm not even on Facebook. Maria will tell me you won't believe what so and so put on there. Oh no, I've known that person for 15 years. Doesn't surprise me at all that that racist or bigoted stuff is on his or her Facebook page. Occasionally, I get surprised. Nine times out of ten, when Maria says you won't believe, now I say, oh yeah, I believe because that person has lived his or her life in a way where I know they're in denial about issues of race in our country. And again, I don't know Tim Ryan personally. He's been a guest on this show, but I, I don't know him beyond, you know, once every five-year visits on the David Glenn Show. I don't claim to know him as a person at all. But that stuff matters because somebody with a good track record gets the benefit of the doubt for an unfortunate choice of words for which he has apologized. And someone with a different background to me doesn't get any benefit of the doubt at all. I'm tired of this racist stuff, man. And I'm surprised that more Americans aren't tired of it as well. And I'm disappointed that more Americans aren't tired of it as well. Appreciate the call, Ryan. 1-800-849-2761. Why my vote, despite the fact that I respect the heck out of what Scott Satterfield did in his first year at Louisville, and he did get the most votes, 23 made him the ACC Coach of the Year in the announcement earlier today. Why I cast my ballot for someone else among what I saw as several deserving candidates. There is a lazy way that many voters cast their coach of the year ballot it is just a plus b equals c and they just won't allow their brain to expand to the point well where they'll take more into consideration it's, it's a monumentally backward and lazy way to cast their votes and not everybody does it this way thankfully you could actually use the lazy way and get to scott satterfield and use the right way and still get to scott satterfield i'm just frustrated about the lazy approach because that's what I see over and over from fans and more alarmingly occasionally from members of the sports media. I will call out that nonsense as we come back to your phone calls 1-800-849-2761 next on the David Glenn Show. You like college football? It's Taj Boyd. Taj, how are you? Welcome I'm to the good. show. I'm good. Dave, man, I appreciate you having me on the show. I'm excited to be here, man. I'm excited for the question that you're going to ask. Mark Richt of Georgia, please stop taking our best high school football players, but otherwise, thank you for the visit. Last thing for Virginia Tech coach Frank Beamer. So do we. The David Glenn Show. Thanks, David. Appreciate it a lot. You got it. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. One thing I promised... John and Apex may have an idea for the next Panthers coach, or maybe he just wants to brag about his own. David in Welcome, North Carolina, wants in on the Tim Ryan suspension as a broadcaster for the San Francisco 49ers. You can be next at 1-800-849-2761. Darren, you are well on your way to being a superstar broadcaster in the sports world. Voice of High Point Basketball for Tubby Smith. Voice of USA Baseball. Play-by-play -play dude of distinction for ESPN3 and various other ESPN platforms. I'm probably leaving stuff out. I'm way in favor of your use of the word dude, though. I just, I, I favor dude as opposed to guy, man, anything. I, I just like dude, so I've also that. heard in your spare time you produce an award-winning syndicated statewide sports radio program, yeah. <laughs> and I congratulate you for that as we come back to your calls, 1-800-849-2761. I don't think you cast as many ballots as I do. No, I think that's safe to say. But I think we've had this conversation. If not, you can share with the statewide audience and hearing it for the first time. It is okay to talk about exceeding expectations in the vote for a coach of the year. It is not okay, in my opinion, without further thought, please let me explain, 
it is not okay to take preseason media predictions before a single game has been played and say at the end, three or four months later, well, this coach finished that many slots higher than he was picked by the media before they had seen a single football game or basketball game or whatever. The amount, I need everybody to understand this logically speaking. If you are putting the ultimate weight on what did a bunch of sports writers think about 14 ACC football teams back in August, that is speculation to the nth degree. You know what some guys are back. You don't know what most of the freshmen are going to look like. There's going to be surprise guys who are a lot better than they were last year. Did you know that Chaz Surratt was going to be a first-team All-ACC linebacker after converting from quarterback? Did, we thought Sam Howe would be good eventually. Did you know in August that he was going to be the all-time true freshman quarterback touchdown pass record holder? No, I mean, like you can – you can foresee some things. You can make educated guesses. You could say, all right, this guy won this many games last year, and he has a bunch of starters back, so I think he's going to be good again. This other guy struggled last year, or maybe he's brand new, you know, and the last guy got fired for a reason, right? So he's inheriting an, inheriting an empty cupboard, and we don't think Georgia Tech is going to be very good this year. I get all that. There's nothing wrong with the exceeding expectations part of the conversation. But the mechanical, and, and this has happened for three decades, Darren, the mechanical in ACC Basketball Coach of the Year and ACC Football Coach of the Year, this guy finished this many slots higher than the media predicted him before the season started, is insane. It is illogical. It is irrational. Why? You are putting an extraordinary amount of weight, not where it should be, what happened over the course of a 12-game regular season or a longer basketball season, and you're putting a monstrous amount of weight on the opinions of sports writers who hadn't seen any of those 14 teams play yet. Yeah, there's educated guesses in the preseason media poll, but what if after one or two games you realize, man, Coach So-and-so has a lot more talent and experience than I thought he had when these games were just being played on paper? Well, now use your eyeballs. You have 12 data points for each of these teams to watch. Ask yourself an intelligent question. It really comes down to, again, if you want the lazy route, who finished the most slots above whatever the media thought they were going to be back in August? I mean, seriously? That's the best logic that we have in 2019? That's like caveman stuff. Are you still riding dinosaurs back and forth from work every day or school? That's a joke. Human beings were not around at the same time as dinosaurs, but uh, you, it's okay if that one went over your head. <laughs> it is illogical and the definition of lazy to put extreme weight on media preseason guesses. What is the better way? Here's the better way. Watch the games and the details. Ask yourself this question. What did Coach So-and-so have on hand in terms of talent and depth and experience? What kind of schedule did he play? What kind of adversity did he hit with injuries or chemistry or whatever else? And then in the end, how special were his results, right? I could give you several variations of good. Mac Brown inherited problems from Larry Fedora, figured out a way to get to six and six. ACC Coach of the Year candidate, not really to me. 
Good year? Yeah. Overachieving? Yes. Nice quality year one, part two of Mac Brown and Chapel Hill. And in fact, he got one vote. Not, not anywhere close to the leaders, obviously. But good year, yes. Did Dave Clawson do a good coaching job at Wake? I would say yes. ACC Coach of the Year, good. No, eight and four on a team that was supposed to be a bowl team. And I mean by the eyeball test, not the preseason guess. Watch guys play. Oh, Sage Surratt, Justin Sternad, uh, a heck of a quarterback in Jamie Newman, a veteran running back in Cade Carney. So he had a nice combination of talent and experience and depth. Not elite, not bad, but good. Good, nice bowl caliber team. And he went eight and four. I would say even slightly maybe overachieved given the injuries he had to some of his best players. Good coaching job? Absolutely, yes. Sure enough, Dave Clawson got a couple votes. Justin Fuente may have saved the hokey season. You better be a good leader when you're two and two and lost by 35 at home to Duke. Have any of the things I just said, star players, injuries, experience, depth, rebounding from adversity, keeping the locker room together. Do any of them have anything to do with what we knew in the month of August? No! None of them! So why place such extraordinary weight on educated guesswork by well-intentioned media when best we can offer, we're not informed on what we're about to see? Now you see the players. Oh, Coach So, hey, that Dabo guy had the most talented team. You know, that Jeff Collins guy at Georgia Tech had the least talented team. And all these others are shades of gray in between. Justin Fuente did a good job in saving the Hokies season and keeping what could have been fractured players together. They're eight and four. Is that a good coaching job? Yes, it is. It is a coach of the year. Not in my book. So Justin Fuente got votes, a couple. Dave Clawson got votes, a couple. Mac Brown got a vote. When you do it the less lazy way, watch games, look at schedules, look at talent, depth, experience. How did you handle adversity? How many injuries did you have? Was your schedule harder or easier? How many big games do you did you win? And in the end, when I get to a close call, do you know how many times the ACC Basketball Coach of the Year has been the coach of an NIT team because voters are too lazy to think? Oh, I, you know, he was picked like 12th, and he made the NIT. Well, hey, okay. Already overachieved, maybe. Again, the eyeball test should matter always more than whatever a preseason guess what by the media was. Watch the game. Trust your instincts. React to players and close games and wins and losses. Those matter a lot more than any speculation in a preseason media poll. The three best candidates for ACC Coach of the Year got the most votes. It was Scott Satterfield with 23 votes, Bronco Mendenhall of UVA with 17 votes, and Dabo Sweeney of Clemson with 15 votes. They were the three best jobs. Other good jobs? Yes. Three best jobs? It's hard to beat undefeated. Even if you have the most talented team, cashing it in all the way to 12-0 ain't exactly a push-button phenomenon. You got to be a leader. You've got to help them through adversity. You got to win that close game in Chapel Hill against the Tar Heels. You've got to stay undefeated despite losing all four of your defensive line starters to the NFL draft. That stuff's not easy. Dabo was a worthy candidate. Bronco was a worthy candidate. And yes, the guy who won, Scott Satterfield of Louisville, was a worthy candidate. But if you took the he finished the most slots above 
what the uneducated, you, you know, you can only be that knowledgeable before the first football is kicked. You could do your research about who has what back, but that's not nearly as important. Anything you can think or say or write in August about what you observe over the next three months. Scott Satterfield might be the coach of the year based on the not lazy approach. What did you have on hand in terms of depth and talent and experience? He actually had one of the more experienced teams in the league, but not as much on the talent side compared to Clemson and UVA and some others. What sort of adversity did you hit? How did you handle it? What was the schedule like? And how, I ask, how special were your results? There is always an ACC basketball coach who had a great year and is headed to the NCAA tournament. I mean, the, the years where the NIT guy got it just continue to make me roll my eyes because it's the lazy vote, usually, that gives that guy the Basketball Coach of the Year award. Oh, he was picked to finish here and he finished there. That's the No. Try harder, be better. Be knowledgeable. Use your eyeballs. Watch games. Scott Satterfield got 23 votes. Dabo Sweeney got 15 votes. I understand the logic for Dabo. Even if you're the most talented, 12-0 ain't easy. I could justify a vote for Dabo even though he didn't get my vote. I understand the vote for Scott Satterfield. They did not have a great combination. It wasn't as bad as people thought in August, but it was not a great combination of talent, depth, experience. They won seven games. They're going to a bowl game, and that was considered an unlikelihood. Good job. And if you voted for him, I'm not rolling my eyes at anybody who voted for Dabo Sweeney or Scott Satterfield or Bronco Mendenhall. Intelligent minds can disagree on most things in life, and this is one of them. Bronco Mendenhall led UVA to the first Coastal Division title in the history of the school. Bronco Mendenhall has taken the Cavaliers to the second major bowl game in the history of the school. Bronco Mendenhall lost his best player, Bryce Hall, to injury early in the season. Bronco Mendenhall didn't have a top 40 offense or a top 40 defense and still had the second best record in the Atlantic Coast Conference. Bronco Mendenhall had the best special teams in, in the ACC. What do we always say? Was it Jerry Jones just said it at the NFL level? Special teams is always largely about coaching. Bronco Mendenhall squeezed every last drop out of what UVA's talent, depth, and experience had to offer. Every drop. You could say Dabo did too. You could say Scott Satterfield did too. If that's how you feel, that justifies your vote. Not he finished this many slots above the preseason poll. My vote went to Bronco because he not only squeezed every last drop out of those Cavaliers through that adversity on the way to 9-3 and three and the ACC title game, he did it while putting UVA to its best season in a long, long time. We're back after this. UNC coach Roy Williams is joining us. You are uncomfortable with your name in the same sentence as Dean Smith. I know that I will never be as good as he was in, in any way. Yet when I hear people say those things, yeah, those things are pretty neat. I, but I try to make sure that's about as far as I go. Keep it here on the David Glenn Show. Eric McLean of the ACC Network played for that Dabo Sweeney guy. We'll find out what he thought of Dabo's conversation about Clemson's respect level in the college football world. We'll talk UVA Clemson and other college football. Eric McLean next on the David Glenn Show. Kevin Harlan is joining us. It was a boring game, and the guy ran out right through the formation as if he was a wide receiver <laughs> to be a part of the play. The guy is drunk, but there he goes. You always think of calling that dramatic last-second buzzer-beating shot or a touchdown pass or, or something more historic. This is the David Glenn Show. 